Namaste, and welcome to our continuing series on Savitri. For the next two evenings, Alok Bhai and I have decided to share some of the most inspirational things about Savitri. And uh, I would like to begin with one line, because I think it applies to all of us. Calling the adventure of consciousness and joy. <laughs> we've all come here because we've been called. We wouldn't be here otherwise. Absolutely. <clears throat> so it's referring to the great adventure of creation. The manifestation of the delight of oneness into a many-fold delight of multiplicity. So, in times as these, when people are busy looking at all the various horrible scenarios, so we have two options when we are besieged by the night, to look at night or to look towards the dawn which is approaching. So with Savitri, that is the beautiful thing. That's the, the beginning of Savitri. I mean, if we leave aside the Baroda period, it started methodically in 1916, when the First World War was on its swing, full swing. And uh, then Savitri again, the, the detailed working upon Savitri during the Second World War. So it, there is a message in this itself. The message is that however thick the night, however dense the night, look towards the dawn and walk towards the dawn. Night is only a passage. It's not the beginning nor the end. And that's what we see in Savitri. Another place where these lines are there, uh, night is not our beginning nor our end. We came to her from a supernal light. By light we live and to the light we go. So this creation seen from one standpoint looks like a nightmare. But if you look at it from another standpoint, it's a great adventure of consciousness and joy. And this difference in knowing it makes all the difference. You know, If you are suddenly caught in a place amidst the mountains and you don't know why you are there, who put you there, then it looks so frightening. But if you have made a conscious choice, I want to see the mountains. With all its treacherous slopes and beautiful um, scenes. scenes. <laughs> You enjoy it because you have, you have chosen to come here because it multiplies a delight. Some people ask that, you know, what is the joy in uh, adventure? What is the joy of creation? Well, ask people who have the spirit of adventure. I mean, it's something amazing. You cannot get staying on the same stable floor uh, as you would when you take dare the climb. This is a fact. Mm. But when you dare the climb, you run the risk of the fall, death. So our souls chose it because the soul knows it is basically immortal. <laughs> so <laughs> so Shivinda wants us to shift the standpoint to the standpoint of the soul within. And then it's a tremendous adventure. And what is this adventure of consciousness and joy? There is this divine consciousness which is hidden and that is expressing itself, emerging through all the events, circumstances, everything of life. So again, we come to the same thing. 
and then we can go probably to the next passage there are two ways of uh, you know living this life one is to live on the surfaces and when you are on the surfaces you are like the football which is kicked all around doesn't know why who placed me here others are enjoying at its cost surface is like being on the waves sometimes you rise high sometimes you fall and it's the law of the surface life that you chase one happiness and one sorrow is given free as a prasad sorrow is the prasad actually <laughs> it shifts you from that little pleasure in which you are caught another way is to see that behind this dance of kali which is too tremendous even for the gods to grasp is the stable basis of shiva that's what is brahman and you know prakriti or shakti so instead of being identified with that identify with the lord so sometime back uh, it it connects it this way how to identify indian thought this is a very nice way uh, it is explained fate is what our ignorant choices have made us but behind this ignorant choices there is always a divine will which is the great recompense for all our errors mistakes and it turns every ignorant choice into a means for self discovery but if we unite with this divine will life is wonderful you come out of that zone of ignorance and start becoming conscious and the process of linking our ignorant choices which makes fate with the conscious divine will is what is called dharma that's one way to look at dharma when we lead a life uh, governed by dharma and dharma is nothing to do with morality ethics none of these things they are mental concepts dharma is in the heart and it it's one business is to help us evolve dharma is the evolutionary mechanism or the law of truth meant to help us evolve it's inbuilt in creation i have a little story to tell you about uh this surface life if we can call it <laughs> i wrote to mother because i was you know just turned 23 and i'm in the ashram and this this handsomest man i've ever seen about my age actually he wanted to take me to europe and he said we will have parties and meet beautiful girls and he went on and on so i wrote to mother and i said uh, He wants me to go with him to Europe or should I go back to America I didn't really want to go with him but mother writes at the bottom better not <laughs> and then and then when I meet her she says this most interesting thing to me she says it is better not to associate with those who live outside of themselves as it were Oh, absolutely. This And this is the meaning of satsang for yeah, me. Yeah, satsang sadhana is all about this. Because the moment we associate with people who are caught up in the surface life and their life is governed by that, we get drawn into it, sucked into it. Absolutely. And that's the beauty of places like uh, the ashram Oroville satsang because there is a need for a collective side of human existence it exists but uh, how do you associate so that's what shivinder speaks about the sangha and he reminds us in uh, essays on the gita that the divine um, brings these three things into the play one is the divine personality around whom everybody rallies and centers the second is he gives us a way of life 
and third he gives us his sangha so he connects it with buddham sharnam gachami sangham sharnam gachami dharmam sharnam gachami so sangha uh, multiplies the aspiration otherwise when you live outside it's really like a fish out of water you crave for those few moments when you can and if you meet you know it's amazing you meet somebody uh, i i have known people i myself gone through that phase supposing you are in bangalore suddenly see you see a car with pondicherry number oh pondicherry number <laughs> somebody coming from pondicherry forget about ashram somebody you see wearing a ring somewhere you see mother symbol it's like because you are craving for that it's a different matter that when you meet uh, come here then you start finding faults but <laughs> criticizing complaining that is human nature takes the better of us but that is the need of the collective life and better not to look without but within yeah okay yes, next so, one yeah the beginning of canto 4 book 1 the secret oh, knowledge oh this is all the secrets are there in this canto actually oh it's wonderful wonderful canto entire veda and sanshri arbindo has sandwiched it in between ashwapati's progress and his illumination Consumation that yes, and why did he put it there? I don't know. So the reason is actually he has uh, answered this uh, question. Answered it means he said that this is put in between the two. That's all he has said. <laughs> But if you look at closely, this secret knowledge uh, was received by the ancient seers. It's basically nothing but the word secret knowledge. It literally the Veda. Veda is knowledge, but a knowledge which is secret, which is not accessible to the senses. So, if you look at all the findings and discoveries which are here, are the nothing else but the Vedas. But in Canto Five, you see the further progression, which is not yet found. So, it is the unwritten chapter of the Vedas because Canto Three is all about the changes that Ashwapati undergoes. even including you know what a being of the new consciousness would naturally have yes then he discovers all these things uh then in canto 5 here itself he has given hinted as to what the future will be like but now he deals with it very separately so what is that future like that is all in canto 5 where he experiences the descent where he starts experiencing the transformation and then he has a choice to make either go ahead with his own individual transformation or take the collectivity along but this is the finding of both canto 3 and canto 5 but buttressed in between because um, many of these findings are already there in the ancient seers had uh, discovered we will see in secret knowledge but toward the end in secret knowledge uh and of course even in between at places that you know we are meant to put on divine nature uh, but that was always understood but those findings come basically after his experiences we see in canto 5 so these are the two phases we can even call it like a pre pondicherry phase is canto 3 hmm. and pondicherry phase is canto 5 when he retakes a retreat from mortal thought silence is his sole companion left in the void he sees throne the omniscient supreme all these things he sees are described in canto 5 where he says that the uh, the script became clear the vedas which are kept in the mystic uk he reads it and he re- he discovers god's covenant with the night why it is there all that becomes clear in 
Canto 5. But that he has revealed it here. So that's how it is. And then we see book 2 beginning. And book 2 could only be done by Sri Aurobindo. No other, no other soul in this existence could have gone through those planes of existence that Sri Aurobindo tells us about. Absolutely. So if one wants to know the essence of the secret that is there, we find it in Canto 4. Everything is there actually. The secret knowledge which is there behind the world, behind all the phenomenal appearances, the destiny of man, the origin, everything is there in an essential form. So, I will begin. And it's very interesting to me that the first line is about Sri Aurobindo, or Ashwabhati, and then the next lines are about us. Yes. On a height he stood that looked towards greater heights. And then we begin. Our early approaches to the infinite are sunrise splendors on a marvelous verge, while lingers yet unseen the glorious sun. So this is where the difference between the past dawns and the future knows. So past dawns uh, are splendorous, and that's something which Shabindu brings out repeatedly, even in Secret of the Vedas. That the Vedic Rishis, where they had reached was the Swarlok, the rays, not the sun. He keeps on qualifying it. It's still the heavens of splendor formed by the rays of the supramental gnosis. But not the supramental truth itself. And so that last secret which is missing, they could glimpse it. But it's one thing to glimpse and another to enter and bring it down, prepare the place here. So he himself is standing on those heights and from there he sees towards still greater heights. And this is a reminder to us not to stop and be self-satisfied. We are saying forward, ever forward. It's something so beautiful, one of the most beautiful things, amazing things, many, many beautiful things. But uh, secret of eternal youth is <laughs> <Okay. laughs> not a cream, it's not an injection. It is to keep looking forward. And that is something very beautiful about Sri Aurobindo. You know, there are yogas which say that you start from here, you end up there. I always used to think, this is so small. How can you have uh, infinity like this that you start? And sh- much later, when I read Sri Aurobindo's essay, where he says, uh, most yogas are like uh, canals through which you swim. So you start from a point, you end up at a point. But he says, this yoga is like the ocean. There is no beginning and no end. And that relates even to Savitri. Some people ask, should we read aloud? Should we read from beginning to end? Should we read in the middle? You are standing in Sheer Sagar. Ocean of milk. Drink from anywhere it is Channamrit. So, it doesn't matter. Of course, one can mentally reply, start from here. and But where will? where is the end of the ocean? This is the ocean of the infinite. And that's the beauty. Dive, dive, dive. You cannot go into the fathomless, I mean unfathomable depths. Uh, that's how Sri Ramakrishna put it that, you know, uh, when you try to measure the sea with a salt doll. <laughs> so, <laughs> mind after a while when it starts dwelling upon Savitri is just taken to a height where it's no more mind. <laughs> mind, never mind. Matter, doesn't matter. So it comes to, sorry for paraphrasing Bertrand Russell, but 
<laughs> and, and we have to, as Mother says, remain young. Uh, yeah. Never stop striving towards... This is a perfect towards... way to remain young. To always look forward. This idea of the bourgeois life that at 60 I'll retire, I'll have grandchildren, pictures I'll see. You know, some people I don't know. Google photos. They, they look at photographs, pictures, past... Look at what we are not and that's something so beautiful to image. Even, you know, the idea of a new creation, this is so much fills one life with meaning, purpose and enthusiasm. That this is a new creation going to be. That's enough. Doesn't matter. 5,000 years, 10,000 years is not the issue. The issue is that there is something like that. Oh my God, let us remain. And you're filled with wonder because you realize you know nothing. That's the childlike state. And you're filled with youthfulness because you realize that there is so much joy, you have to travel. So it's something so fantastic. And it also fills you with the wisdom, which I am not using the word old age. The wisdom that says, that reveals to us that the infinite uh, disclosure is itself infinite. There is no end to it. So that's the secret of being ageless. I'll read a little more yeah. of this same passage because it's so extraordinary. What now we see is a shadow of what must come. The earth's uplook to a remote unknown is a preface only of the epic climb of human soul from its flat earthly state to the discovery of a greater self and the far gleam of an eternal light. Absolutely. So again, to take this analogy, you see when a child, uh, there is a line in Savitri to that effect, a child who is beginning to climb falls and gets up. So for a child, it's disastrous. But what does the parent say? Okay, this is how you will grow up. And when you grow up, you will run and climb the Mount Everest. So when you look at life from that, it's so beautiful. And it's strengthening it's invigorating, drinks experience like a strengthening wine. The soul standpoint. But uh, to put it semi humorously, we take ourselves too seriously. Our story is yet to be written. <laughs> it reminds me, you, you know, of Chotinaranji's story. Chotinaranji had a wonderful sense of humor. Yes, he did. And he was like a fakkar sadhu. And mother had given him this work. He, you know, people have all these ideas, no, that come to ashram, six-hour work. All this is a mentalization now. Uh, so when he came to ashram, his coming itself is a fantastic story. So he sent a word uh, through Nalida that what work should I do? So mother told him, sent him the message. Oh, he is uh, reading and writing and uh, speaking on Shurbindo. Let him continue that. He never was given a fixed work. But when he would be there, sometimes out of his own, uh, this thing, he'll go to dining room and clean the utensils. Otherwise, he, he was one of those who was not given any particular work in the ashram, except read, write and speak. So he would travel two, two months. He will stay in Nanital suddenly and he was an ashram inmate. No questions asked. So one day he went and there was a rich man, a devotee, and he was staying with him. So he said... Uh, um, actually his original Hindi has a flavor But I will uh, translate in English So this man said Sir I believe you are a very good You write very well So he says like a Buddha yeah, Okay so So, <laughs> so he says uh, Will you please do me a favor Yes tell me Will you write uh, something about my life 
John Knight said, okay, I'll give me 15 days. So 15 days he enjoyed the hospitality of that. He, this story, he has himself told me. Huh? He had a <laughs> totally free inwardly. So after 15 days, he says, sir, something have you written? He says, yes, I started writing and I'm not getting inspiration to write more. So this is, sir, what you have written, can you just little bit tell me autobiography, you know? but he has to write. So he says, I wrote once there was a worm, he built a castle. Now he is not getting what he is writing. So the worm built a castle and he thought that to be the universe. Like that he started writing and he said, sir, okay, sir, I have got the message after four, five lines. <laughs> Are, this is a... Early preface to the epic supreme, the story is yet to be written. The story starts being written when we really know the goal and the purpose and start taking our first baby steps. In the womb, it's all dreams and imagination of the child. So these lines that, you know, are early approaches to the infinite and then, you know, that there is so much more a preface. Wow, what a hope it fills us with. Just a preface. The other day day I saw a little baby, oh, maybe a year, year and a half old, learning to walk with such joy. Face was radiant, could make steps. And you'll see, there's so much to learn everywhere. So, baby is, is very interesting. They will crawl, they'll get up. What gives them hope? They look around and know that their mama is there or papa is there. But look at the way the papa and mama react. They will hold the child and sometimes they will let go even if the child falls. Because that's what is strengthening him. So this is exactly how the divine deals with us. It's not that he is not around. (laughs) He is very much around the corner. And sometimes when we cry, he doesn't come and pick us up like that. He waits, okay, grows strong. At other times when we are, you know, too much hurt, he takes us and holds us. (laughs) Baby, don't cry. (laughs) And gives us some nice little lollipops of his love. Not lollipops, divine lollipops. (laughs) Yeah, so much you can learn from everything in creation. The whole Veda is everywhere. With children and parents, I have learned so much about divine dealing with humanity. Hmm. All this subconscious yoga is when we are in the womb. Conscious yoga, when we are born, for some time you don't recognize anything except your mother. But still you don't know who she is. She represents to you the home of safety, ultimate security. And then when you grow up, when you have to grow into adulthood, the same mother, though her heart is always connected to you, will allow the child to go and face the adventure of consciousness and joy. How else will the child grow? But she is always there. That's what. Now this is human mother and father with limitation. How much more the divine mother and father, because they are omnipotent, Potent and omniscient. It's so wonderful. We'll continue because this is so, so important. Where he says that this world is a beginning and a base where life and mind erect their structured dreams. An unborn power must build reality. This, this uh, reminds me of when Golkund was being made. So at one point, they were wondering about uh, the water, where to put it out from. And they were trying calculations, this, that. And finally, uh, Pavitra Das suggested, why don't we ask the mother? 
So the engineers usually know what will mothers say about this. This is a, this technical thing. Okay, let's still ask. <laughs> so Mrityunjeda, all these people who are involved, so they go to mother, and mother remains quiet for a moment, and then she says, "Here, this is the point." Then they calculate and see, yes, this is the point. It should be logically why they couldn't think about it, and they asked her. How do you know? She says, "I don't have to learn mathematics to know." Now you see all the structured dreams we build, which is okay, but finally you call the Lord and the Master, Sir. This is what we have built. He may, at one glance, make them collapse because he wants something much more beautiful, or he may put a little touch here, a little touch there, and make it more beautiful. So when we look at it like this, um, and also when you know these dreams, because structured dreams, sometimes when they collapse, people feel all is lost, all is never lost. So the analogy is of a person who builds a bridge. Uh, so when the bridge collapses, is everything lost? No, the experience is gained. So that knowledge is never lost, never. So when you build it again, you take into account that previous effort. Again, something may happen. Again, you pick up. So that's how the growth takes place. Something in us is never lost. And if you ask me, uh, leaving aside um, the fact of soul and spiritual existence, knowledge is one thing which is never lost. It goes into the depths and remains embedded there. True knowledge, not about uh, you know the outer things, and consciousness is never lost. You cannot destroy it. So it's something very interesting. Existence actually is indestructible. Only it takes a form. Sachidanand, existence, consciousness, bliss. The first three gardens of the Matrimandya: existence, consciousness, bliss. And then there's light, life, and power, and it ends with perfection. Mother has planned it so perfectly. Now, I have a story to tell you about that Udar shared with me. Because at the time they were building Golkond, they didn't have all these brass screws, nuts, bolts. And he said, Mother, we can't get these. Maybe we can get them in Madras. I don't know. And he, he said, but mother, it will take some money. And mother said, oh. <laughs> and she reaches over and takes one rupee one out. Rupee. And she gives him one rupee. And that's how Harpagon began. Yes. Then another story was from uh, George Nakashima, whom I always considered the Michelangelo of wood. Sundaranand. He was... I knew him well, and I visited him in his uh, place in New Hope, New Jersey, a beautiful setting. He could look into a stump and see the tables and the chairs in that and then cut them out. He w I mean, and he did all the woodwork for Golkan, the whole woodwork. Yes. So, so these structured dreams are only... Uh Temporary plans in ignorance we make, but there is something else which can fulfill these dreams, unborn power. These dreams cannot be fulfilled by the power of the mind and life and heart. Unborn reality, that is. An unborn power must build, must reality. build reality. So we can dream and we dreaming is uh, given to man. 
But this fulfillment of the dream comes by that unborn power. A death-bound littleness is not all we are. Immortal, our forgotten vastnesses await discovery in our summit selves. And then I move on a little bit more. Uh, Deep in us, a forgotten kinship points, and a faint voice of ecstasy and prayer calls to those loosened, lost immensities. That's why never there has been an age when mankind has not in some way or the other turned towards something beyond man. Call it God, call it truth, call it a seeking is always in every age of mankind. Why? Because we have come from there and we are like children who are who know that we have come from you know elsewhere and we are searching for that. Deep within us is secret kinship. So who is our kith and kin? Divine is our kith and kin. Or rather we are the kith and kin of the divine. Sometimes I feel just to feel it like this is so beautiful. Who's, uh, you know, that uh, Midhananda's experience when yes. he used to go out of the body. Yes. And once he is lost and then uh, he doesn't know how to come back. Mother didn't appreciate it. She used to say that, you know, our work is here in the body. Not going out of the body. But uh, once he gets lost, he doesn't know where he is lost amidst stars, galaxies, God knows where. And he meets suddenly these two beings, tall beings, and he asks them, I want to go there. And they don't even know what is earth. This is a speck of thought. And finally, at some point, he utters Shurabindo. They say, Oh, Shurabindo is earth. Go there. And suddenly he finds himself in the body. <laughs> Shurabindo. <laughs> That's the recognition there. <laughs> And here, of course, uh, so seen from one point of view, amidst the appalling immensities of the universe, man is nothing but a, you know, speck of you know, dust. But seen from another point of view, man, man is meant to not only mate with the stars, but to, as Shubindu says, he can be wider than the universe. That is man's destiny. Because deep within us, we have a kinship with that which is beyond man. So that's our inevitable destiny. We will be attracted. Even denial of God is an attraction towards God. You deny somebody whom you are somewhere secretly you believe that yes, something like that exists. Why would you deny otherwise? Why would you care? (laughs) Yes. Even when we fail to look into our souls or lie embedded in earthly consciousness, still have we parts that grow towards the light. So it is inevitable because we are caught up in this tremendous, even the surface life, let's put it like that. What happens to them? Even somebody leading most ignorantly and on the surface life. Surface life is like the foam and froth below which are the waves. Below the waves is the ocean. Yet if we look at it, it is being impelled in a certain direction. And what is that direction? It's well, one-way traffic. It's going towards the source, impelled by the source. So the only difference is when we consciously identify, we are projected much faster and we go through a luminous experience, a different corridor down below. 
you know, in the luminous expanse of the sea. This is a different corridor, turbulent lines, but yet they are leading us towards that. So it's like growth, progress, it's inevitable. They have promised all of us that we shall live in that new world and we shall be transformed. And what does it matter if we have more births? <laughs> well, yeah, absolutely. This, this idea of being afraid and all, I, I don't know. Um, on the contrary, one can look at it uh, this way that, you know, one grows uh, through all these experiences a lot more. And you know, one has time to serve her so much more. I look at it like this, that, you know, let me serve you a thousand lives if necessary. So it's so much joy of service, so much joy of loving the divine and all this adventure and its unexpectedness. Yes, if one can do it with full knowledge, awareness, that's the best. That's the only difference. A shapeless memory lingers in us still. And sometimes, when our sight is turned within, earth's ignorant veil is lifted from our eyes. There is a short Miraculous escape. So this shapeless memory, he has used a word. So memory itself, the the way Shurabindu has described memory is amazing. All my studies in psychology and neurology just went for a toss. When I read about how he describes memory and its role. See, entire sense of ego hangs around memory. Entire psychic life hangs around another kind of memory. Memory means nothing is really disconnected. It's one single chain. It's embedded. And it's state dependent. That is the beauty. So there is in us an original memory of that wonderful world from where we came. And that's why we are even in ignorance searching for that. Shapeless memory. It, it's formless. It doesn't have a form here upon earth. Lingers in us still. So that's the highest sense of memory. A greater personality sometimes possesses us, which yet we know is ours, or we adore the master of our souls. So at times, suddenly, a door opens. Our sight is turned within either because the outer appearances are so horrifying, unfortunately. We are compelled to turn within. And then suddenly, who is the divine? He is our own greater self. This is the way of, another way of looking at it. That's how the Vishishta Dvait puts it. He is none else but our own greater self. And yet, to take the joy of the difference, our souls have come here. He's, I mean, a wave is one with the ocean always. But then it takes the joy of the climb, the joy of the journey. But always it is connected with the deep expanse. So who is the divine? Divine is our own greater self. That's why you can say he is the perfection that we seek. He is that which we adore in Shurabindu. They are ways of saying. But because it's very difficult, if in our ignorance, if we use the word greater self, our own, then it can be misread by the ego. And ego may say, yes, I am God. But in our ignorance, that disastrous, so how must me? 
So that's why when we turn to the divine and we adore, who is he? A greater personality sometimes possesses us, which yet we know is ours. Hmm. Something of that is what we are. We are none else but part and parcel of that infinite personality. That's the safest attitude to have. A typical Advaitin will take a different approach because he wants to dissolve in the infinite. But for us it is, we are always a part and parcel, a portion of the Divine Mother. And when we consciously become that, then life is wonderful. Greater personality. In moments when the inner lamps are lit and the life's cherished guests are left outside, our spirit sits alone and speaks to its gulfs. This is something which uh, one misses in life today because, uh, you know, there is so much to distract, so much to preoccupy. And unless we turn all these things into some kind of a conscious turning towards the divine, like an action turned towards the divine, Otherwise, there is something missing. At the same time, it is also true that when people sit alone, they don't speak to their gulfs. Gulfs means that gulf. <laughs> they fall into all the, you know, the grooves of darkness. It's also true. So, but that's what true meditation is. When instead of all the things we cherish, basically it is cutting the knot of desire and the ego self. And then we are inside the lamps light up so such a beautiful description but this question I feel every day one must raise why am I here where am I going mm. to reorient to renavigate to keep things turning towards the truth mind could not know unveils its face we hear what mortal ears have never heard. We feel what earthly sense has never felt. We love what common hearts repel and dread. Our minds hush to a bright omniscient. Yes. How beautiful he is. The inner senses begin to awake. A new way of looking at the world begins to dawn. This hearing is not... Uh, hearing a voice uh, speaking to us, we can hear that way, but that's not what it means. It's he, this hearing is the inner hearing. What is known in the Vedas is Shruti. Vedas speak about Shruti and Smriti, by the way. But Shruti is Shruti and Drishti are two faculties that the Rishis had. So here there is a reference to that. The truth mind could not know unveils its face. So we see the truth. which Now this seeing is Drishti. Now this drishti is not uh, that suddenly we are all the time having visions. That's a different aspect. That's a special faculty. But we see a divine presence which you can't define. It's not like you are actually seeing a being there. You may see, but it's not that which is important. There's something you sense, the mind sees what otherwise we cannot know. To somebody else it's just a stone. But to another vision, it is none else but the divine. There are people who say that, even about Samadhi, they say, oh, that's what is the idea of going there. But how do we know that there is the divine presence? This is the inner seeing. 
Same way the inner hearing is when the faculties of inspiration open. Revelation, inspiration, this is the inner seeing and the inner hearing. So that begins to happen. And then what happens? We feel what earthly senses never felt. Presence of God. And you ask, uh, people will ask, how do you know? So the only answer is, how do you know that you are hungry? How do you know that you love? How do you know you hate? Oh, I know it because, you know, <laughs> they'll fumble. Is there an outer sign to say these things? No, you know it because you are identified with hunger. You know it because you are identified with love. You know because you are identified with the movement of hatred. You cannot know. This is the subjective senses which make us become aware of the divine presence. There is a whole domain. We know only through identification. Otherwise, we cannot know. There is no test as of now by which one can say this person is in love. Otherwise, they will declare everybody in love as mad and start giving medicines. So <laughs> there was almost an effort for that. Huh? That serotonin level, this, that and this. So this is, you cannot know because this is in, happening in the subjective spaces. So we feel and then what happens? We love. We love what common hearts repel and dread. Common hearts are driven by appearances. But to see behind all these appearances, behind these stormy depths to have a vision of Mother Kali, behind the quiet visage or harmonious visage, we see Lakshmi with seeking for beauty, harmony, sweetness. Behind the strong goddess Parvati, who is still benevolent. <laughs> I could go on. <laughs> but this is something very beautiful. Huh? This All men should practice it. But ideally you should see it in everybody, but it's a little more difficult to see the presence because we are all shakts. Because we are worshippers of Mother, Divine Mother. To see some aspect or the other of the Divine Mother. It's something very beautiful, very interesting. Of course, see it in men also. They also, at least they have a Deva. <laughs> what Deva the person is. <laughs> but something of the Divine Mother one can see. That Shubindu gives that hint. That something of her can be seen and felt in her vibhutis. In their little human persona. So then when you see that, what do you do? You, we love what common hearts repel and dread. Because you begin to see that aspect, you connect with that. And then our minds hush to a bright omniscience. Simplest way of quietening the mind is to see the divine everywhere behind all this play. Not just as a static presence, but as a dynamic presence. Ten years ago, this month, I received a word from the Lord. Four words. Love all, no exceptions. This was one of the aphorisms no, that Shirobindo says. There are only two ways of escaping the snare of women. Either to shun all women... Or to love all beings. All beings. All beings, yes. yeah, obviously. To love all beings. These are the two ways. And obviously there is a touch of humor in it. Try to shun all. 
as if that is possible at all. To love all, yes, in the depths. Okay. Would you like to read one? Yeah, maybe I'll just read. Um, of course, this passage continues very beautifully. Oh, yes. Revealing to us the soul within, and he has described several places the psychic being. But here it is described in very beautiful ways. It lives within us by ourselves unseen. Yes, the murmuring tongue of a celestial fire. We can read this last, uh, since we are at it, so next page. It is the origin, or before, a few lines before. Assured of the apocalypse to be, now he is describing all this about uh, you know the immortal soul within. The apocalypse. When I spoke to Nolini, uh, there's no negativity in this. No, word. no, not at all. Not it's at unfortunately portrayed as something negative as a doomsday. Yes, exactly. But definitely not. So, Shubindu's own poems, he has used this very, very in a very positive way. But look at this line. It started with stranger. So it comes here again. Ourself and a high stranger whom we feel. It is and acts unseen as if it were not. The soul takes us through life. And we think it is our soul. We have to find it. This is what we are. (laughs) But high stranger. And then it follows the line of sempiternal birth. It has all the script secret coded. The secret of all our previous lives, the connecting links, yet seems to perish with its mortal frame. When one dies, seems that it has gone, but it has not gone. It is very much. Triarbindo very carefully uses the word "seems." To yes, perish. seems as showed of the apocalypse to be. So it is this alone which has the certitude of the divine victory. That one day this whole world will be luminously transformed into the figure of the divine. It is assured. Automatically, because it carries that blueprint, it carries that, it's the carrier of the divine will, all that will come here. It reckons not the moments and the hours. Oh, so much time. Uh, When will this happen? When will that happen? No. Why? Because great, patient, Calm, it sees the centuries pass, awaiting the slow miracle of our change. It is not impatient because it knows that oh, millenniums we have left behind. Now we are around the corner. When you there are two ways of looking. Oh my God, 300, 500 years more. That's oh my God, so much. Another way, millenniums are behind us. Three, only 300, 500 years more. <laughs> so... <laughs> The slow miracle of our change. Yes. In the sure, deliberate process of world food. This knows. Slow, deliberate process. Because the divine has to build perfection. So every little tweaking that happens in our nature has to be adjusted to every other aspect. Most difficult work he has taken. So always you have to feel that tenderness for the divine. What a work. And in so many creatures and in this world, it's unimaginable. And he doesn't give up. Why should we? And the long march of all revealing time, it is the origin and the master clue. You see people rush towards third world war, destruction. 
people you know if you just look at at least the way i have been brought up with uh, the milk of indian mythology so the child we were told this kans aaye ravan aaye chale gaye and we have seen first world war second world war i mean things come and go yet the divine will through all this leads us towards something very beautiful this is something which we have seen in our own lives it's not a very far off event and yet out of all this the divine brings out something more beautiful the world advances by one step even if it's an infant step so where is all this knowledge kept it is the origin and the master clue this has all the secrets a silence overhead and inner voice if we want to approach the soul we can go through both these passages either through the heart deep inside or through the head towards we will go towards impersonality when the mind becomes quiet then the, again the same soul emerges a living image seated in the heart an unwalled wideness and a fathomless point so you go into the depths of the soul one discovers the infinite divine you widen it you discover the divine everywhere and in all things that can be done only on the basis of the soul no other part so fathomless point and an unwalled wideness the truth of all these cryptic shows in space the real towards which our strivings move <laughs> get real you know people nowadays have this very interesting some of these logos na get real so when they say to a mystic get real they would say yes that's what i am doing <laughs> step out of your dream imaginary world we woven by the senses which you mistake for reality they are structured dreams get real the real out of which all this has emerged the the secret grandiose meaning of our lives what we are meant to be is a god secret grandiose not to crawl forever on the ground not a social animal we are meant to be a god but it cannot be by the ego obviously we have to slay the ego then we'll see the god released from within a treasure of honey in the combs of god this is where the in 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 the upanishad is the soul is described as a eater of the honey of the lotus so because this is where the honey is so if you touch it there is a sweetness and this sweetness can flow into the very blood veins and speech and nerves they are all filled with this sweetness one can feel that sweetness and a warmth these are characteristic qualities of the soul a splendor burning in a tenebrous cloak but at the same time it is a splendor it's a fire that burns behind this tenebrous cloak of the body it is our glory of the flame of god and we cannot imagine what angusth matra this little flame swetashutra upanishad says antah sharire jyotirmayo hi shubhro it is that flame jyotirmayo hi shubhro auspicious flame yam pashyanti hitah shin dosha all your defects fall down they crumble before that flame it they cannot stand when it emerges so that's why in india this stress on so much you know outer morality this this was not there people that's why people don't understand dharma dharma is not morality dharma is doing that which will help us in this great emergence that is dharma 
When Meera leaves the family and walks away, it is dharma. When Draupadi keeps the Pandavas together, it is dharma. When Arjuna slays his Kithan king, it is dharma. When Buddha goes uh, in search of that ultimate cure of ignorance, it is dharma. There is no one uniform conduct. So that's why because this dharma helps us to discover this flame of God. Our golden fountain of the world's delight. When one touches and mother says this so beautifully, she says, you know, to a teacher, have you not experienced that there are days when you feel so beautiful, everything is so wonderful? Have you asked why? Because suddenly the psychic is active. And there are days when you say the same thing, but all is dull, curtained. So, it's the fountain of the world's delight. An immortality cowled in the cape of death, the shape of our unborn divinity. What we shall be in the future is hidden here, scripted here. So we can close with these last four lines on this page. Okay, we can just read it quickly. It guards for us our fate in depths within. Nobody can take away because this is the soul. Nothing can dare come near it, which is untrue, false. Where sleeps the eternal seed of transient things. Remarkable line. In the transience there is the eternal. Eternal is not cut from the transient elsewhere. Transient is a means for the eternal seed to grow and express itself. So this understanding we have created, this transient, so leave it and be elsewhere. In everything, every movement there is the presence of the eternal. But in the form of a seed. Nourish it, it will grow and manifest through all the transiences of life. Always we bear in us a magic key, concealed in life's hermetic envelope, a burning witness in the sanctuary regards through time and the blind walls of form. A timeless light is in his hidden eyes. He sees the secret things no words can speak and knows the goal of the unconscious world and the heart of the mystery of the journeying years. So, instead of worrying about all these hundred things, find the soul, go deep into the soul. (laughs) One step solution. (laughs) One step solution. Thank you. Namaste all. Namaste. Namaste. Beautiful. Thank you.